Good morning again, church. Grab a Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, all the way in the back. It's going to serve as our launching pad this morning. Our time in the Word today is going to look a little bit different than usual. And I'll explain why in a minute. But as you turn there, I want to make an observation. When we love someone, we love what they love. When we care about someone, I think by default, we care about what they care about. What matters to them, if we love them, should and ultimately will matter to us. Let me give you an example. I haven't talked about this a ton in this space yet, but uh, I want to share some of my background. So I have shared this. I was born and raised in the D.C. area, which meant that as a kid, I was born and raised as a huge fan, a diehard fan of the NFL team that plays in Washington, D.C. Now, I, I say it that way because the name Commanders hasn't quite stuck yet. I was born and raised singing Hail to the R Words. Um, and that was my team. Like, I was obsessed when I was a kid and, and still am. I hope in much more healthy ways now. But uh, to give you a picture into this obsession, when I was growing up, the walls of my childhood bedroom were painted burgundy and gold. My fan blades on my ceiling fan, burgundy gold, burgundy gold, burgundy gold. I had all of the fat heads. I had all of the jerseys. I would wear stuff whenever I could. Um, I was so invested in this professional sports team that didn't care about me. I was so invested in them that whenever they would lose, I would run up to my room, slam the door, and cry. Which, if you know football, you know that, that was pretty much a weekly occurrence. They weren't very good. They're still not good. They're still not good. But I'm still a fan. I listen to all the podcasts, and we're going to talk about idolatry in a few weeks. I'm just going to say it. That's the one that God consistently works on my heart with. But here's the thing, church. My wife is not an NFL fan, and I think that's a, an act of God's grace. I don't think it would be helpful for our marriage if she was. But here's the thing. When we started dating, and then after we got married, because I cared about the team, she started to care about the team. She started to become invested in the team because I was, and not in unhealthy ways like I was, but she could tell you who the quarterback was, and she could tell you who the coach was. She could tell you generally how the team was doing, and, and she would sit with me and, and scroll on Instagram while I was watching the games. That ministry of presence meant the world to me. She cared because I cared. Now, this is kind of a silly example, right? But it shows us, I think, a significant principle. When we care about someone, what matters to them matters to us. It's a default progression. Now, think about our relationship with Jesus for a moment. If we claim to love Jesus, if we claim to know Jesus and want to follow Jesus and to cherish Jesus, if we know Jesus as the Savior and the Lord of our lives, then what matters to Jesus by default has to matter to us. What Jesus cares about we should care about. It's how it works. And listen, Coastal, Jesus cares deeply about his church. He loves his church. He's invested in his church. Ephesians chapter five, a passage usually about marriage, gives us some insight into how exactly Christ loves his church. We'll have it up on the screen. Ephesians five, beginning in verse 25. It's my go-to wedding text. Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved the what? Church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So what does this tell us? It tells us that Christ loved the church, that Christ loves the church, that he gave himself up for the church. He died for the church. He's sanctifying it. He's in the process of cleansing the church and that Jesus will one day present the church to himself in splendor. The church is everything to Jesus. It was worth giving up his life for. And because it matters so greatly to Jesus, it has to matter to us. We're living right now in a commitment-averse society. I don't think that Americans like committing to things. An example would be the most popular gyms are the ones without contracts. Most people prefer to cohabit with their partner before marriage. People can write New York Times bestsellers on how you can be a Christian without the church, how all you need is just individual spirituality, just you and Jesus. But brothers and sisters, the New Testament paints a very different picture. We see commitment all over its pages. Throughout the New Testament, the church is portrayed as an invaluable anchor, something that individual first century Christians wouldn't imagine living without. The church is the bedrock of the Christian life and an institution that is absolutely worth committing to. So here's how we're gonna spend our time this morning. As we wrap up this Anchors series, we are going to look at the anchor of the church and how God in his grace has given us the church as a foundation for our lives. Now, today is gonna feel a little bit more like a family talk and a little bit less like a sermon. Here's what I mean by that. If you've been with us for a while, you know that our normal Sunday rhythm is to open our Bibles to a passage and then walk through and study that passage. Expository preaching is part of the DNA of Coastal, and we'll get back to it next week. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to start an eight-week series through the book of Exodus, walking verse by verse. But this morning, I want to give us a picture from the scriptures of three different things. I want us to see, January of 2024, who we are as a church, what we do as a church, and then why we do it, and why it's so critical that we anchor our lives to the local church. We've been meeting as a church here in Williamsburg for almost six months. I think it's time to have one of these talks, and I know that in our gathering this morning, we have people who have been a part of Coastal, who've been members of Coastal for years long before we ever started this congregation in Williamsburg. And if that's you, if you've been around the block at Coastal Church for a while, this morning will feel almost like a review to you. You can look at the second half of your bulletin, and if you've spent any time at Coastal, you could probably fill it out by yourself. That's okay with me. I think occasionally a reminder and a review is helpful. And if you're a member here, if you've been around for a while, I want you to know, to be reminded of what your local church stands on and stands for. Now, I also know there are brothers and sisters in this gathering who are in the dating process. And here's what I mean by that. You're checking out Coastal and things feel good. It feels right. You're not quite ready to commit yet. And that's totally fine. But in every dating relationship, you have what's called a DTR. Anyone knows what that stands for? Defining the relationship. 
this is gonna be a DTR this morning. We're gonna get everything out on the table. I want you to know exactly what we stand for as a local church. If you've been at Coastal for a couple weeks or a couple months, then I praise God that you're here. I, I want you to find a church home here. And as a result of our time in the Word this morning, it's my hope that you will leave with clarification. Leave with a better understanding of, okay, this is what this particular local church is about. And then finally, if this is your first Sunday, then thank God we're not talking about tithing. <laughs> Amen? All right, so here's what, here's what I want to do. Let me pray for us, and then we'll hit some theology of the church. Let's pray. Oh, God, I, I do. I pray for this time of the word right now. I pray that, that your word would drive it as we kind of look at an overview of what the New Testament says about the local church, God, and then how you've wired and, and given us a vision here at Coastal to live out that New Testament mission. I, I pray, Father, for a blessing on this time. I, I do. I pray for these different groups of people. Lord, one, for our, our members and our regular attenders, I pray that this time would be a refresher and a reminder that what we've committed to here at Coastal matters. That, God, you blessed this model, Lord, that you blessed your design for the church and and God, that our members would walk away encouraged. Yes, this is who we are. I pray, God, for the people in this room, Lord. I know there are many who have been to Coastal now for a few months, maybe a few weeks, and they're seeing what God is doing here in this little local church in Williamsburg, and they've got questions. I pray that this morning would serve to clarify and answer some of those questions, Lord, that we would see together, God, that this is what you've called us to do. And so, Father, I pray, my heart in this is I want Christians to have a church. And so even, it's a bold prayer, but even if there are people in this room who hear this vision and decide, yeah, maybe this isn't the church for me, I pray that they would find a healthy Bible-teaching church where they can do these things, God. We are for the church, the capital C church, Lord Jesus. You are for your church. You care about your church. And so, Father, I pray that for our gathering this morning and then in like-minded churches all over our city, that you would bless your people, you bless the preaching of the word, you continue to bless the church. So open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right. Let's cover some theology of the church. First, who we are. You see this in your notes. I'm gonna stick pretty closely to our bulletin this morning. We are first and foremost, a ransomed people. We are a ransomed people. Here's where Revelation chapter five comes in. Look at verse nine, if you have your Bibles open. Revelation 5, nine. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So first and foremost, Coastal, here's what I want us to see. When we think about the church, the church is the people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation that have been ransomed by the blood of the lamb, covered, ransomed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what unites the church around the world, and that's what unites the church around this room. Our common denominator is that we have been ransomed, covered, purchased by the blood of Christ. Think about it. In this room, this gathering right now, we've got all different kinds of people, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different countries, different ethnicities, people who vote differently, people with different jobs, people who have kids, single people, married couples, retirees, all different phases of life, so many differences. But the one thing that's common, the one thing that we have in common is the one thing that truly matters. We've been ransomed by the blood 
ransomed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. At its core, the church is a people who have gathered around and believed and trusted in Jesus, in Jesus and the message of the gospel, that cover to cover, the Bible is telling one perfect story of redemption. And so if this is your first time here and you're new or checking out Christianity, I want you to dial in for a second. This book tells us a story, the greatest story ever told, the story of a God who is perfect and good and holy and just. A God who's created all things and a God who's created you. God has created you in his image to be in a relationship with you, to know you and to love you. God's created you to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That's what this good and awesome and creative God has done. He's created man to know him and enjoy him. But we've sinned. I've sinned and every single person in this room has sinned intentionally and unintentionally. When we sin, we separate ourselves from the relationship that we were created for. There's now a chasm between God and man because God is perfect and holy and just. He cannot tolerate injustice because God is pure. He cannot tolerate impurity. And in our sin, that's what we are. We're impure. But God in his grace and in his love and in his mercy has sent us his very best gift, his son, Jesus. That's who we're singing about this morning. Jesus, fully God and fully man, came to earth, lived a perfect life, obeyed perfectly when we did it, and then died a death on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus took all of the weight and the wrath and the hatred of God towards sin. Jesus took it all on the cross, drank the whole cup, and then slammed it down saying, it is finished, which means the wrath of God against the sin of mankind was accomplished in Jesus. And that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose back to life, validating everything he said and did while he was on earth and making a way for us to have forgiveness and reconciliation. That's what Jesus has done. That's the gospel that unites this church, the church all around the world and this local church here in Williamsburg. And when we trust in that gospel, when we repent of our sin, believe in the message of the gospel and receive Christ into our lives, we are then adopted into the family of God and we become the people of God. God. We are ransomed and we are a people. I want us to understand this. The church is not a building. The church is a people. The New Testament word for church is ecclesia, which means assembly or gathered ones. Here's what that means. It means that when we come together to worship on Sunday mornings, we aren't coming to church. No one comes to church. We're coming to gather and assemble as a church. Our church meets at Walsingham Academy. That's where we are right now. But we, the people, the people in this room and down the hall serving in kids, that's the church. Listen, this month, I'm going to share some good news. We own eight acres of land off of I-64 and 199. I trust many of you all know that. And this month, we began site work on our building. It's an incredible thing. It's an exciting thing. And over the next couple of years, we're going to help and pray and watch as this facility takes shape, come talk to me about how you can partner with us in building a building. But guess what? We're not building a church on that land. We're not building a church. We're building a building. Christ is building his church in this room. Christ is building his church in our 
houses throughout the week as we gather in small groups. Christ is building his church and we share the gospel with a coworker or when we invite a neighbor to come and worship with us. That's how Christ is building his church. And Lord willing, in a couple of years, when we stop meeting at Walsingham and we go across town to 199 and I-64 and meet at a beautiful new building, the church is just moving to worship somewhere else. The church is not a building. It is a people of God, a ransomed and redeemed people. So letter A, the church is a ransomed people. Letter B, the church is a relational family. Church is a relational family. Galatians chapter six, verse 10 in the NIV, I think is especially helpful here. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So the ESV, as you probably see, translates it as household of faith, which is the same thing. There's an assumption all throughout the Bible that the church, God's church, will operate both like a household and as a family. 1 Timothy chapter 3.15 makes the same point. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So the church of God is a family, the family of believers in Christ to love each other and encourage each other, exhort each other, serve each other. The church is a family that sins against each other and forgives each other. Families are messy and God's church is messy. If you spend any time with us at all, you know this church is made up of imperfect sinners with all sorts of different struggles who desperately need the mercy and the grace of Jesus found in the gospel. But the beauty of a church family is that we get to seek out that mercy together. We get to seek God's mercy together. We worship together. We break bread together. We meet in homes together. We pool our time and our talent and our treasure together to see the gospel go out together. We do it as a family. Listen, the language of brother and sister is all over the New Testament. It's one of my favorite ways to refer to individual Christians, and that's not by accident. God's design is for the church to operate like a family. Listen, I want to be real vulnerable, real transparent here as your pastor. Um, my family uh, does not know Christ. My extended family does not know Jesus. My dad passed away a couple years ago. Um, to my knowledge, he did not know Christ. My mom lives in Northern Virginia, does not know God, really, really far from God. And I love her with all my heart. And she's got a fiance and I love him. He's, he's a good man, treats her really, really well. But it's a unique challenge. And I'm, I'm guessing in a room this size, many of you get this. There's a unique challenge when your family doesn't know Christ. Um, it turns family gatherings uh, into gatherings that are kind of missional. And I say that hopefully with all the respect in the world. Again, I love my mom, love my family, but it's a tough thing. There's a challenge when worldviews collide, when the most important thing to me and my family is not the most important thing to her and her family. It can be a tough thing. So here's why I share that. Church, you are my family. Like, you are my family. The group of people that God has brought together in this room is my family. Um, this is a family that Amy and I love, and it's a family where we want to be married for for a long time, and it's a family where we want to raise our kids in. We've seen that this family is safe and welcoming and hospitable and godly. We've seen that this family, this church family, that God has assembled here in Williamsburg is good for our marriage, 
that it's good for our kids. And, and here's the thing, God's design for the church being a family is good for you too. Like God's supernatural family meets needs all across the room in different ways. Like maybe you're like me and your, your parents either aren't alive or they're not walking with the Lord. Listen, in this church family, God has given us some incredible spiritual parents and some incredible spiritual grandparents, seasoned saints, older godly men and women who have adopted us and who will adopt you. God met needs in our lives. God meets needs in our lives. Maybe for you, you're single and you're longing for marriage. You really want to be married. You see all these married couples around you and you long for that. You can't wait for that day. Listen, until that day comes, dive into this church family. There are single brothers and sisters all around this room who have done that and who have been blessed by it. Maybe you're in college and you're, you're literally away from your biological family. Here's my word to you. Stay back and help stack chairs after the service. Meet people. Don't rush out. Meet a family here. There are brothers and sisters in this church who would love to open up their homes to be family for you. That's how God has designed his church, to be a family and to meet needs all across the room in the supernatural family that is the church of God. All right, let her see. We are a rescued bride. We are ransomed people, a relational family, <clears throat> and we are a rescued bride. Revelation chapter 19, verses six through nine. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So this is a, a pretty incredible picture. Revelation 19 is depicting the day when Christ will return once and for all, to rescue and redeem his bride. All throughout the Bible, the bride of Christ is portrayed as the church. We saw this earlier in Ephesians 5. The church is the bride with Christ as her perfect bridegroom, her husband. And just as a husband is meant to love and protect and cherish his bride, Christ does this with his church. Jesus and the church are intimately connected. Let me give you an example. I was doing my barbering time this week and I'm walking through the anchors plan that we passed out last Sunday. In that plan, it had me in the book of Acts. Now, many of you know the story from Acts chapter nine. In Acts nine, we see the story of Saul's conversion. And so Saul, who would later become the apostle Paul, was on the road to Damascus. It was before he met Jesus. Before he met Jesus, this Saul was a violent persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He oversaw the execution of Stephen. And on the road to Damascus, he had letters from the high priest to go and he gave him authority to throw in jail any Christians in Damascus, to persecute Christians in Damascus. Well, on the road in Acts 9, he meets Jesus. He has an encounter with the glorified Jesus and a light from heaven shines down. He falls to the ground and then he hears Jesus speaking. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. And falling to the ground... He heard a voice saying to him, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is interesting. You know why? Because Saul isn't persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting the church. But Jesus asks, why are you persecuting me? I want us to see this. To Jesus, to persecute his bride is to persecute himself. He says, why are you persecuting me? It's an affront to who he is. It would be like if you came to me and said, I love you, Colin. I love hanging out with you, Colin, but I can't stand Amy. We probably wouldn't have a very good relationship if that's how you started a conversation. But why is that the case? Because my wife and I are kind of a package deal. The, the same principle applies here. We don't get to have Jesus without his church. They aren't meant to be separated because the church is what Jesus loves and cares about the most. Remember, he invested his blood in it. He cares about the protection of his bride. He cares about the protection of you. Several times in the Bible, someone will get a glimpse of Jesus on his throne. And when Jesus is on the throne or at the right hand of the throne of God, he's always seated. All throughout the New Testament, we get these glimpses of Jesus. He's always seated except one time. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being executed. He's the first martyr for the Christian faith. And he gets this glimpse of Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is not sitting when Stephen is suffering. He's standing. The only time in the Bible we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God is when the church is suffering. So we can be sure of this, Coastal. Our bridegroom cares for his bride. He cares for us. And there's a day coming when he will rescue us from every ounce of sin and death and suffering that this world has to offer. It'll all end at the glorious marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ will rejoice over his bride and us, the bride, will rejoice in him forever and ever and ever. We long for that day. We praise God for that day. And we know that that day isn't here yet because as you've noticed, if you're a Christian in this room, God doesn't just instantly teleport us into heaven the moment that we put our faith in Jesus. We're still here. Church, we're here. And as we'll see, we're here for a reason. And so we've seen the who, who we are. We are a ransomed people, a relational family, and a rescued bride. Now I want to show us the what what it is we do until the day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, gives us some insight into the what. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now, this is a fascinating verse because it's making it clear that both the Spirit who breathes life, we talked about this last week in Ezekiel 37, and the bride are the ones that say, come. The Spirit and the bride are inviting other people in. Now, here's what this tells us. The bride, the church, has a pivotal role, a mission in bringing other people into the kingdom of God. And this is Pretty astounding when you actually stop to think about it. God doesn't need you to save people. 
God doesn't need me to save people. But God, in his grace, invites the church into the miracle that is the redemption process. He allows us to participate in it and then uses us, uses the church to bring more and more people into a saving knowledge of Jesus. That's why we're here, church, and why we're not instantly taken up to heaven. God's plan to reach the lost and dying world around us is the local church. That's our mission. And so here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. I'm going to get really practical. What does that mission, if God has given us a role in reaching the world around us, what does that mission look like here at Coastal, at this local church? We've seen who we are. Now I want to show us what we do, specifically at Coastal. How do we live out this mission? So this is number two in your notes. Let's say it together. We exist to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why we're here. That's why we do everything we do at Coastal Church. That's been the mission at this church for 20 years, and it's the overarching mission that drives everything we do at this church. If God is gracious enough to invite us in to the process of redemption, then we want to throw everything we have at developing authentic followers of Jesus. And this starts with proclaiming the gospel. It starts with evangelism. It starts in your neighborhoods, in your classrooms, in your sports teams, in your workplaces. God has placed every single person in this room out there in the world with a particular sphere of influence. There are no accidents into where God has placed you. And when we think about developing authentic followers of Jesus, that starts where God has placed us. It starts with evangelism by sharing the gospel, by proclaiming the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world around us. Now, when we do that, and God blesses it, and we see people actually come to know Christ and be saved, we then bring them into a discipleship process. Now, at Coastal, we've tried to make our discipleship process two things. One, biblical, New Testament-based. And two, very, very, very simple. We're gonna see, we'll walk through it. I wanna share with you our discipleship process this morning. You'll see that we don't require anyone to do anything that the Bible doesn't already ask of Christians. But I share this because I want you to know if you get saved and you then come to Coastal, you're like, okay, I'm a new Christian. What do I do? Or you say you bring someone else into the faith. You bring them to Christ. God in his grace allows you to bring them to Christ. How do you disciple them? This is our discipleship process at Coastal. Letter A. We connect with God in corporate worship. We connect with God in corporate worship. Here's what that looks like at Coastal. We meet together on Sunday mornings. We come together, not to church, but as a church, to worship God in four different ways, sometimes five. And I use this language intentionally pretty much every week as we take the offering. So we worship God. We come together as a church through singing, worship Him through prayer, worship Him through giving, Worship him through the preaching of the word. And then today, actually, we're going to worship him through the observance of the ordinances. That's how God has instructed his church to worship when they come together. And part of being an authentic follower of Jesus is committing to being present and active and engaged in corporate worship. It means that church is never a game time decision. You don't wake up and think, I wonder if I'm going to go worship with my church family today. No, for an authentic follower of Jesus, Sunday morning is an untouchable bedrock in our lives. We need this gathering. I need this gathering to be ministered to and to minister. It's how God uses his local church to bolster us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. We worship God when we come together. 
Here's where we're at in Williamsburg. When we started in August, I'm going to give us a little bit of a church update. When we started in August, by God's grace, we had 290 people at our first gathering. For a church plant in America, that is stunning. And I praise God with the people that he provided for us in that first gathering. Here's where we are now in January. In two Sundays in January, we have averaged over 400. It's pretty incredible. God is moving through this local church. By my math, that's 37% growth. Now, here's where I'm going to push a little bit. Our attendance has risen by 37% since August. Our giving has not. It gets real quiet. Let me explain something. Uh, one, I'm not worried about that. That is super normal. And if you look at any kind of church metrics or any kind of church planting strategy, what happens is this. People usually attend a church for anywhere between four to six months before they start giving to the church. So giving trends always, 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 especially in the life of Coastal, life of any church, follow attendance trends. That's not concerning. Here's why I say that, though. I'm really intentional when we do the offering time. I say this is an act of worship for our members and our regular attenders. What do I say to people who are new? We're not after your what? And it's true. We're not after your money. I'm not after your money. And even right now, I'm not after your money. I'm not a pastor right now who's concerned about his budget. I'm a pastor who has concern for your soul. And here's what I mean by that. It's possible, not even probable, it's possible that without knowing it, you're sitting here this morning and you've fallen into the regular attender category. You realize, man, I've been coming to Coastal for three months and I'm not giving. Listen, it's not my job to be the giving police. Again, here's what I care about. Jesus tells us that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. I care about how you worship the Lord. I care about how you worship the Lord. And so that might mean for you, if you're a regular tender, it might mean, you know what? I'm here. I'm gonna start worshiping God in this fourth way by the giving of tithes and offerings. It might mean, forget money for a second, it might mean that you commit to attending on a weekly basis. It might mean that you commit to staying a little bit before, coming early, or staying a little bit late so you can meet more people and continue to participate into the life of the local church. But that's bedrock discipleship process number one at Coastal. We connect with God through corporate worship. Number two, letter B in your notes, we grow together in small groups. We grow together in small groups. So at Coastal, small groups are how we make a big church feel like a smaller church. Depending on how you count, there are... 59-ish one-another commands in the New Testament. Commands like encourage one another, bear each other's burdens, rebuke one another, love one another. There's a limit to how much we can do that in a gathering like this. We're limited by our forum here. Guys are all seated facing forward in rows. There's a limit to how much you can live out the one another's. Small groups are the ways we do that. You start to know Coastal when you join a small group. When you let other people into your lives, when you start to know other people and you open yourself up to be known, our small group seasons at Coastal are pretty simple. Here's how we do small groups. We have two eight-week small group seasons, one in the spring and one in the fall. We've made it seasonal because we found it gets more people engaged. Uh, I used to say join a small group and then be in that small group until you die or move away. We don't do that here. We do an eight-week almost trial period. What that does, it lets you commit to a small group for eight weeks. And if it's not a great fit, fine, no hurt feelings. Join a different group the next season. You have an out. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to get in. Join a small group. It's how you get to know people. It's how you get to obey the Bible. 
And I don't say that in a join a small group where you're disobeying the Bible. I say that in a join a small group so you can obey the Bible. It gives you a way to care for people, to love people in a New Testament type of way, to be the church. I can't tell you how encouraging it is when when needs come across my email inbox and I'm about to reach out or make a visit and I've heard, wait, that person's small group has already set up a meal train. That person's family is already taking care of them. Those things are incredible. And that's what you get when you join a small group. We have four new small groups coming down the pipe this month. We'll have more in the summer. And so join a small group. There's one for every single person in this room. You can find out more information online. All right, I'll keep moving. Let us see. We serve in both ministry and mission. We serve in both ministry and mission. So ministry is what happens Inside the church, mission is what happens outside the church. Let me talk about mission first. So it's my hope to start bringing global mission trips before you all as a church. I'm actually going to Ukraine in about six weeks to scout out a potential long-term mission partner for our local church here in Williamsburg. So I want to bring before you local church opportunities in Williamsburg and all campus opportunities as we partner with what Coastal is doing around the peninsula. Mission is incredibly valuable to us as a church. The first 10 cents of every dollar that we take in as a church goes out the door to missions. We care about missions at Coastal. And as your pastor, I've seen it, how going on a mission trip changes your life. It changes your perspective, how you think about the world. So think about it as a member or a regular attender, think about a mission trip. And then two, we serve in a ministry inside the church. Again, I'm gonna peel back the, the, the screen here for a minute. It takes about 70 people, give or take, to pull off a Sunday morning in this building. It's pretty incredible. We have a worship team that shows up at 7 a.m. Howard Murray shows up with a trailer at 7 a.m. We have a setup team that shows up and sets up every single one of these chairs. We have a parking team. They were real bundled up. I see John leading his team in the back. We have an usher team, a coffee team, a security team, a first impressions team. That first impressions team holds the door for you every single week. They pass out bulletins every single week. We have a kids team. Most people in our kids team are serving right now twice a month. And at a one service church, here's what that means. It means that they miss out on this gathering twice a month so that you can sit here and have a kid-free hour. Praise God for those people. But I also want to get to a point as a church where they're serving just once a month. I mentioned at the beginning of our time that 45th Street is coming. That means we need teachers. It means we need people to serve in our kids' ministry. Listen, it's the first time I'll say this. We are looking at going to two services at some point this year. Um, as a church, what's going to guide that decision is not how full this room gets, but how full our kids' ministry gets. And right now, we're not ready. We don't have the volunteer base. And so again, here's what I would say to you. If you've come now three or four weeks in a row, we need you. Pass out bulletins. Make coffee with us. Come early, set up chairs, stay late, take down chairs. What I want us to see is that we are very much still a baby church that is growing its wings and that needs every single person. So there is an opportunity for you here. We have a student ministry that meets on Sunday nights that's growing. We need people to disciple our students. We have a college ministry we're building this year. God is doing incredible things through the life of this church and God has gifted every single Christian in this room with specific gifts for the purpose of building up the church and glorifying the name of Christ. We serve in ministry and mission. So you've got a connect card. Think about it right now. Before you leave, right? I want to serve in blank. Turn it in. We'll reach out to you this week. We need everyone to make this happen. All right, last one. 
letter D, we multiply disciples for the advancement of the gospel. So you've seen our discipleship process at Coastal. You've seen this family talk. We connect, grow, and serve. Connect with God, corporate worship, grow in small groups, serve in ministry and mission. Last one, we multiply disciples for the advancement of the gospel. This one, this last one, is the multiplication piece. It's not a separate one. It's really one that covers everything. We read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard this before, but this is what Christ has commanded us to do. He's commanded us as Christians, to make disciples. And so this last one, this multiply disciples piece, it's not another thing to do. Rather, it's a way of doing it. It's connecting with God together, bringing people with you to corporate worship. It's growing together in small groups, opening up your small groups. You can invite other people in. You can invite your your coworker to small group before you even invite them to church on a Sunday morning. It's serving together, saying, hey, I pass out bulletins. I show up 15 minutes early. Show up with me next week. Smile and say hello. Say welcome. Everyone in this room can do that. It is a multiplication piece where we look at ourselves and we say, okay, God, how are you using me? What am I doing right now to build up the kingdom? And who would you like me to bring alongside and build up disciples? I think in the American church, we have often boiled down discipleship into a class. So you get saved, and then you go to a four-week class, and then you're discipled. That's not the picture we see in the Bible. The picture that we see in the Bible is coming alongside of each other and making disciples. That's the mission that Christ has given us. And listen, this is where I'll wrap up. There is no better cause to give your life to than this cause. There's no legacy more enduring than being poured out as a drink offering for the name and fame of Christ through the local church. You're never going to regret time you spent leveraging for the gospel. You're never going to regret time you spent leveraging in this local church. And so let me give you the so what, and I'll land the plane. Here's the so what. We Are Coastal is happening in two weeks. I mentioned this at the very beginning of our time. This is our on-road to membership class. It is the Come see what we're about. Come think about membership. Uh, I mentioned a DTR. Some of you guys have been dating the church for a few months now. That's great. Dating relationships are good. Praise God for dating relationships. It might be time for some of you to get down on one knee and say, okay, I'm in. If we're going to make this work, we're going to grow, we're going to look at two services, not for us, but for more and more people can be reached with the cause of Christ, so more and more people can find a church home in Williamsburg, then it's going to take every single person in this room, without exception. And that means you, this is your first week here. It's crazy, but that's how God has ordained it. God has ordained his church to be led, not by one preacher preaching every week, but by the church coming together to multiply and make disciples for the name and fame of Christ, beginning here in Williamsburg and to the end of the earth. So two things. One, if you've been dating the church, sign up for We Are Coastal. Free lunch, free childcare. You'll hear more about who we are as a church. You get to meet with an elder and learn more about membership. The second thing, if you are a member or you're a regular tenor and you can't make We Are Coastal, think about how God might be calling you to serve this church. Maybe it's a chair helper. 
Maybe it's in the kids' ministry. We have a volunteer, our kids' volunteer training next Sunday. No registration required. You can come learn more about how we do kids' ministry and find out how you can get involved. But we need everyone to make this work. Amen?